Hi, Time Hackers. I'm Jacques, and I'm absolutely obsessed with everything about time. Time hacks, tips, and tools. I want to squeeze every minute out of my schedule and make the most out of life. I've co-founded numerous startups, including Stacks, a tech unicorn valued at over a billion dollars. Constantly having lots of irons in the fire, while my wife Yvonne and I raised three kids, has required me to develop a lot of time management and self-reflection skills. On this podcast, I'll discuss some of the things that have helped me. More importantly, we'll learn together by interviewing fascinating people that have their own perspectives on time. Welcome to the Taking Your Time podcast. Hey, Time Hackers. This is Jacques Fu with the Taking Your Time podcast. I am here with uh, Matt Dupree. We're going to talk about all things AI and machine learning. Thank you for coming onto the show today. Yeah, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Super excited about this. You know, for those in the audience, um, Matt is a wannabe philosophy professor, but really is a pretty accomplished tech entrepreneur, has worked in all sorts of roles from, you know, programming to project product manager, tech lead, CTO. He is now the CEO of a company called Atlas, which builds AI-powered app guides. And that will completely replace product documentation that you might see in softwares that you use. So Matt, you were doing a talk with Dr. Morton Middleford and Kumesh, and you were talking about the future of AI and machine learning. What was kind of like the the takeaway? I know you were talking about the impact on society. Uh, how, how did that talk go? Yeah, uh, yeah, that was that was a really fun talk. I think you know some of the takeaways for me. Oh, there was actually a little bit of disagreement among the panel, which was kind of fun, right? Uh, but the the viewpoint that I was kind of pushing was, um, you know, I guess there's two pieces to it. Like one, uh, you know, AI, machine learning, like even though we're kind of making these impressive leaps recently, um, you know, I don't expect there to be, um, you know, some sort of uh, insane, you know, artificial general intelligence kind of... Um, you know, um, advents like in the near future. Uh, Skynet's not coming. Skynet yeah, coming Skynet, Skynet's not coming soon. Actually, I was just watching. I guess Gary Mark. So Gary Marcus is a he's a uh, he's like an AI researcher, entrepreneur, and you know, cognitive psych- psychologist at NYU, and and kind of a skeptic about AI. And I was just watching a talk that he was he was giving yesterday, and apparently he's been trying to get Elon Musk to bet him money that AGI is nigh, uh, and he won't he won't take him up on it. So he's like. Gary Marcus is like, yeah, like Elon keeps saying that, you know, we're going to have self-driving cars and like all this amazing stuff, but he won't put his money where his mouth is. So I think, I I think that's kind of telling, but that's, that's one thing is I think there was a lot of agreement about that, you know, on the panel. Isn't that funny when, you know, intelligent people just like, they run out of arguments and they sort of devolve into, well, I'll bet you (laughs) that's, that's the way we're going to solve this argument. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It is funny. Uh, It's definitely funny. I think, Gary Marcus is maybe a little bit, it seems like he's a little more cynical about it. It's not like a fun, like, I'll bet you thing. It's like, I almost think it's like an accusation that uh, that Elon Musk is overselling the, like, knowingly overselling the capabilities of the AI systems that he's building. But, uh, but, but yeah, it is, it is interesting that it can kind of devolve to that. Uh, so, so anyway, that, that was one thing that came out of it. And then the, the other thing is, it's a related point. It's like, even though, you know, Skynet isn't near, uh, there are some things to worry about. There are some things that we should probably be careful about as we, as we adopt the technology and build it out. I think we, 
you know, I, I think one of the examples we talked about was somebody in the audience asked, you know, do, do people have the right to know that they're interfacing with an AI? Let's say that they're, I think the example they gave was, uh, you know, maybe you're talking with a financial advisor over like a little chat thing, little web chat thing. And, you know, maybe the financial advisor is actually ChatGPT or something like it. And so do you have a right to know that that's what you're talking to and not a person? Yeah, we were saying like, yes, like, you know, like we, we, we think we, we think you have a right to know that. And uh, especially because the performance between a person and like a chat bot is, is going to be different. And there are kind of perverse incentives for companies to, you know, reduce cost and, and kind of swap out a person with, a, with an AI chat bot. And, you know, as long as everything kind of works out in the aggregate. That, that, that's something that we kind of have to worry about for protecting individual consumers. So that was kind of, that was a, a concrete example of like, yeah, we, we have some things to worry about, even though Skynet's not, you know, not nigh. Definitely makes sense. There's, there's a lot of implications whenever you introduce new trans, transformative technology. Not that AI and machine learning is new, but I think the way that the, the, this use case has evolved, specifically generative AI, right, is has taken, you know, the public consciousness by by storm and really gotten gotten people thinking about things that they should have probably been thinking for a while. Sure. Um a absolutely. But, uh, yeah. yeah, agreed. I one thing that I really liked so have you seen the social dilemma? Have you seen this documentary? It's on Netflix. No. Okay, okay. I haven't caught so that. so basically it's like a it, it's a critique of what social media has done to society. Uh, and the, the same guys who did that documentary, they have an interesting talk about AI and, and kind of generative AI specifically and the possible negative impact that that could have on society. These guys have actually like gone before Congress and stuff and talked about it. So yeah, it, like uh, there's a long-winded way of saying like, we should definitely be thinking about these stuff, this stuff. There are people thinking about it and that, that's a good thing. So. Well, tell me about Atlas. Tell me about you know, what your company does, it sounds pretty cool because I've done a lot of product documentation in, in many companies uh, over time, and it's it's always a pain in the butt <laughs> to get that right. And, um, you know, also just love, how did you even get into this business? Like what made you want to do machine learning versus, you know, maybe more traditional software engineering? Yeah, so the, the drive to machine learning, I guess I'll start at the last question. The, the drive to machine learning uh, really happened because I was following some advice from Paul Graham. Okay, so, uh, you know, Paul Graham says, if you want to have a good startup idea, probably one of the worst things you could do is try to think of good startup ideas. Uh, he says, a better approach is you should try and live in the future and build what's missing. And so, you know, kind of getting into machine learning was my way of living in the future because I wanted to start a company. I've been wanting to start something for basically a decade uh, and uh, so, so that's kind of really what drove me into machine learning. Plus it's just incredibly interesting and cool and all of that. But, but that was like a big part of, of the motive of moving into that. And, uh, you know, the way that I got into Atlas specifically, uh, first, I, first I should say what it is. Uh, basically what we're doing is we're trying to, we're trying to change the way that we help people use software. So right now, if, if you're, if you're trying to help somebody use software, you write documentation, you you shoot a, a a video, you know, a little demo video that nobody reads. By yeah, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. I a hundred percent. So you and you may shoot a video, and maybe it's got high production value, so that like, people are more likely to actually consume the content. 
Or, you know, you may, you may build some bespoke kind of onboarding experience or some like really nice uh, kind of signposting within the UI to help people use it. These are kind of your options right now. But it's just a lot of work to do these things. And, and really like humans are very much in the business of expressing how to use the software. Okay, that's the status quo. If you contrast that with, think about how Google Maps works, okay? If you want to get from where you are now to, you know, Green Beats in downtown Orlando, uh, you, 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 can, you can just type in that place and then you get these really nice turn-by-turn -turn directions to get there. And importantly, those directions are not written by a person, right? Like humans are out of the business of describing how to get around the world. Like that's like, Whenever, like if my in-laws are like, how do I get there? And like, they ask me for directions. I'm like, I have no idea. Like, I don't even think about that stuff anymore because Google does it. But that's like kind of the idea for Atlas is like, but get humans out of the business of describing how to use software in any form, whether it's a video, you know, tech, you know, text and product docs or some sort of like in-app experience. Instead, let's build a map of the software that we're trying to use and then use that map to generate the directions for anything the user wants to do. So that's kind of the high level of what we're doing. And, uh, the, well, you know, what I think is interesting, and I, I'd be curious, you know, your, how, how you approach this is I can certainly see the exercise of, which could probably be, you know, assisted by code, right, of mapping out all of the features and functionalities and all the paths within the UI. But how do you capture, like, the intent of the user, right? right. It's like one thing, I've, I've even, you know, uh, I almost hate to admit this. Sometimes I've, I've gotten lost in the software that I've written yeah, sure. before yeah. using it yeah. and I'm demoing it. And I'm like, I, I don't like know how to, I don't remember how to get to the place. And even if I, I don't know which things I need to turn on or what the behavior is going to, is going to do in this demo. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so how, how do you like there, that seems to be like, not something that you can really uh, extract from even the the code. I mean, you sort of you can you can know what the what the buttons will do, but not what the intent or the desired outcome of the user is. So how do you sort yeah. of tie those things? Great, because that seems to be like a missing element. Yeah, yeah, great question. So that's uh, that's really where like the LLM kind of comes in. So you know we have this map of our our customer software, and then what we have is this. It's almost like a little prompt bar, right? That overlays our customer software, and the user can describe what they want to do in that little prompt bar. And the, the large language model is able to match the user's description of the task they want to accomplish with a particular destination inside of the application map. And so once we kind of know where the user wants to go, we can kind of give them direct the directions to get there. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that that's kind of how we're doing that. I'd love to hear, you know, more about what got you started down this. Yeah, uh, that's the other, that was the other question you asked. Yeah. So, so basically we, you know, you said that I was an accomplished entrepreneur at the outset of this and that's like way too kind. Okay. All I am is like a, a guy who had like a, an idea that wasn't so good and wasn't going so well. And then like, I had a better idea after that. And like, that's basically what happened with this is, you know, I, I was at Heap most recently on the data science team. I left Heap. Uh, a little over a year ago to start working on a next generation data notebook type product. So, you know, we were, we were doing data science. We were using things like Jupyter notebooks in, in, in our studio and just felt like there were some things that were missing there. And so left Heap to start working on that. And, uh, you know, nine months into that, I logged in, logged on to LinkedIn one day and, and, uh, you know, you, you know, it has your employment history 
It's like, you've been working on DataChimp for nine months. Like that's when it was called DataChimp. And I was like, nine months? Like, I don't have any sales. That's not how, it's not how I expected that to go. And, you know, I had done these kind of little pivots within that, that same idea space to try and get something that worked. But, uh, but yeah, it just wasn't, it wasn't really moving. And I, uh, you know, also on LinkedIn saw everybody talking about LLMs and kind of had this eureka moment of, wait a minute, uh, there's an opportunity to use LLMs to change how we help people use software. I, you know, like you, I've written product documentation before. I know nobody reads it. I've used, you know, kind of tools to help that, that help companies build these in-app kind of onboarding experiences. And even those have their challenges. And so I had all that kind of rolling around the back of my head. And when I saw what was going on with LLMs, I said, wait a minute, there's, there's something here. So, so yeah, that's how, that's how Atlas was kind of born. It's awesome. You know, we, time is obviously the theme of this show. So, you know, I kind of have to ask based on your experiences and your, and your history, when it comes to, you know, machine learning and data science, like what's a task or, or thing that people would be surprised by how long it takes, whether it's short or fast, like, you know, maybe it's, you know, the training process or, you know, like what, what would somebody be like, wow, I didn't really know. I didn't really know it take that. Yeah, it depends. I think it depends on who, who we're talking about. So like we, you know, if, if you're talking about just like somebody who's not particularly familiar with data science or, or machine learning, a lot of people would be surprised to know that it takes a lot of time just to get the data to the right shape that you can actually feed it into a machine learning model. So just like kind of the like cleaning of the data and kind of preparing the data for training, that actually, this was, this was like a slide in my pitch deck for the old idea. It's like, that's like 80% of like the, the, the thing, you know, like if you're thinking about 80, 20, it's just like getting the data into the right shape and kind of prepared for training is a lot of work. Well, how long do you think it took them to get like the GPT data? So for, that's, uh, that's a, yeah, that's a really good question. I think in their case, you know, they're working with unstructured data, like they're like the, the text of the internet and, you know, so in that case, it, there's not as much work, right? Like you kind of, the, the way that they're training the model, it's the, the what the model, the, the kind of loss function or the thing that the model is trying to do is, try. I don't like saying trying to do, because I think it's like too anthropomorphic, but, you know, the, 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 the cost function that's being optimized, you know, for this model, that's a little technical, but I apologize. I just want, I, I refuse to do the anthropomorphic thing. The thing that's being optimized is just like predicting the next, token or the next word, right, in in a sequence of text. And so you don't need to do a lot to the text to to kind of get set up for the, for that training task. And so I think probably a lot of the work for, you know, for OpenAI or anybody who's making these large language models is more around the kind of training ops side of things, not necessarily for like the, the data preparation. And when I say training ops, I mean like they have a ton of GPUs that are <laughs> that are doing the training and they just so there's like maintain and distributing the training workload across those right. GPUs and kind of watching progress and maintaining costs and all that stuff. I imagine that's where the bulk of the work was there. Yeah, and a lot of engineering projects where you can apply processing power to speed it up, time is sort of uh, like maybe would be better measured in CPU cycles or something sure. like that than actual time on, on a clock. So I think even that, that's probably uh, insightful for, for some folks. Yeah. 
Uh, what, what's your typical day look like now at, uh, at, at Atlas? Like, what do you, how do you spend your time? Yeah, it's, it's a kind of, it's a bit messy these days. So we're, you know, we're wrapping up our fundraising right now. And uh, so, so that, that makes it a little more complicated, but I think when that's done, there's basically going to be, you know, three things that, that I'll be looking at, you know, in my day. One is like kind of sales and marketing uh, type work. The other is, you know, kind of product work. And then the other is kind of company building type work. Uh, so, you know, things like uh, what, what should our processes look like? What, what, you know, what, what should our values be? You know, how do we, you know, we're going to be a distributed team. And so how do we mitigate that? There are advantages of being distributed, but there are downsides. So how do you mitigate those downsides? So those are kind of the three categories of work, sales and marketing, you know, company building or operations, and then like product. So the, I'm, I'm thinking about how I can kind of divide my time appropriately between those three different types of work. So, yeah. Do you spend as much as, as much time coding as you would like? You know, I, I, I think I realized about a month and a half ago that, you know, my life is basically sales now. Like it's, it's, and, and that, that doesn't quite line up with, with what I told you in terms of how I divide the work. But if you, if you really zoom out on sales, it's like, you, you could kind of, you can fit it into that framework. It's like, you're selling like customers, you're selling like your internal team on the product, like, you know, vision and, and roadmap. And then you're like selling them on like these process kind of things, like getting everybody on board. Um, so yeah, I think that's just what I'll be doing for a while now. Uh, and I have a CTO now who like, you know, he's very focused on the, the coding things. And so I, I don't think it's, I just don't think it's the best use of my time for the company. It's not like my CTO is stellar. Like he's, I'm so excited to work with him. And like, he's going to, you know, he's already like knows more about the code than I do. And so probably my competitive advantage will be on the kind of more on the business side of things. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, well, I have to ask, you know, do you have any sort of uh, morning routine that you start off your day with? Yeah, it's a good question. I, what I like to do in the mornings, and this is something that I've been doing for a really long time. I like to do the most unpleasant thing first. Because um, it's like, yeah, I like start with the most unpleasant thing. Because I, my motivation is kind of high in the beginning of the day, right? So it's like, let me just like go after this thing that, it's, you know, maybe, maybe I don't really want to do really the opposite for me. I start with dessert. Oh, I see. I see. Yeah. I, I like to cause like, okay. I, so I studied philosophy. Okay. And like philosophers are incredibly boring. Like they just, it's just very dry stuff. But I had, you know, I had a professor early on who said no pain, no gain. Like, yeah, we know this stuff is boring, but like, you just got to push through and you're going to, you're going to kind of get, get some stuff. And so the way that I would structure my time when I was in graduate school is you know, it's, you're just reading a lot of boring philosophy, not really boring, right? Because like, I thought it was really interesting, but it's, it can be kind of schleppy, you know, it, it can, it's not always the most exciting thing. And so the way I would just structure my day so that I just maximize the amount of, re, you know, kind of reading that I could do. And when you do, when you, you know, you read for 90 minutes, that's like the most you can do, you know, like it's like your brain is just like done after 90 minutes, you know? And so I'd always just start my day and just read until I couldn't read anymore. And then I would do something else to kind of like take a break and then try and get back to reading as fast as I can. So that's kind of, that's kind of carried over into this. It's like, if there's a lot of kind of unpleasant or my least favorite thing, you know, it's like, okay, let me start the day with that. 
do as much of that as I can. Like I jokingly, I tell myself like, just do this until you feel like you're going to throw up, you know, and then like, then you can stop and like do something else and then come back to it. So that's, that's kind of how I start my mornings. Uh, I know that's a little graphic, uh, but yeah. Inspiring too. <laughs> sure. Yeah, maybe, maybe. I do have one last, uh, well, maybe two last questions for you. What's, you know, your favorite tip that you'd like to give the audience? Yeah, I'll, I'll give, I'll give one thing that's like a, you know, analog kind of hack, like not related to software or anything like that. That's kind of like a motivational trick. Uh, I called it reverse procrastination in grad school. It basically, let's say you have two tasks, okay? One of them has a deadline and one of them doesn't. The idea is you do the task that doesn't have the deadline first. Uh, be, and like, you're just, you, you're kind of accomplishing that with like your natural motivation. Like, you're just like, I'm just going to do this thing. I know that it's like, I know there's not a deadline, but I'm just working off my natural motivation. And then you lean on the deadline for the other task to force you to do that thing. So it's like, if ordinarily you would have only done one of the things, uh, you know, if you don't sequence it that way, uh, you know, th this like lets you kind of squeeze two tasks out. If your motivation's running kind of dry, it's like, well, no, but there's this deadline. Like, you're, so you can lean on that to kind of get the extra motivation to do it. Uh, so that was like a trick that was useful in grad school. Uh, I think it's, I think it's a little less useful now uh, because it's, I have a family, you know, like there's a, it's not like when you're in grad school, it's just like, you just, the, the limit for your productivity is like motivation. It's not like hours in the day. Right. And so that, that, that trick is really geared towards hacking kind of your motivation. Uh, but, but anyway, so that just giving a little context. So does that make sense? I don't even think I've expressed that to somebody before. Did this reverse procrastination? No, I, I, I'm, I'm like thinking about this. You're just, you're tricking your brain to, to, to do more. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Within it. And I am a firm believer in you know, that your work will expand if at whatever time you give it, mm -hmm. right? So it's almost, you're kind of playing with that. You're sort of saying, well, let's artificially compress. I'm compressing this thing that has no deadline to now fit within the deadline of this other task that actually has a deadline. So you are essentially creating a deadline for a task that didn't have anything. And and I, I, yeah, I think that's a great way to sort of to, to squeeze out more things. Yeah, that's, that's it. I hadn't thought about it from that angle, but I think that's right. Uh, I think, is this is called Parkinson's law? I think that work expands to fill the time available. I think yes, this is, that's, like, I was trying to remember. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, but yeah, I, I like that way of thinking about it. I haven't, I haven't thought about that angle. But the other thing that I just signed up for the other day that I'm excited about is, is Fathom. So it's like a, it's like a thing that hooks onto your, your Zoom calls and, you know, transcribes the call. And then like the big, okay, so that's like, eh, you know, okay, pretty cool. But the, the thing that's really killer is that it hooks into your CRM, you know, so we use HubSpot for our CRM. So we just like automatically update like a deal or a contact in our CRM with the notes from the call. And I was kind of doing that manually before. So excited to, you know, really kind of start using that. And uh, I also think it'll be helpful for just helping the team understand like why we need to build what we're building. If they can just see like in know the customer's own words kind of what they're asking for so yeah those are two things that i'm two hacks that i'm excited about right now i i like it i like both of those thanks again for for coming on to the show love to know how we can help you like how does it how do people get in touch with you um how do they how do they find out more about atlas is there anything that you need to you know kind of continue on your journey yeah look thanks so much for asking i mean i would i mean i would love to hear from you your 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 time hacks and i guess i just need to check out your site so that, that's one thing that'll be helpful as I kind of try and optimize my time. 
But yeah, I mean, I, you know, right now we're looking for design partners. And so we're, you know, we're very early. We, we are not, uh, we don't think that we have like the MVP nailed down. Like we don't know exactly what we need to build. So we're looking for uh, folks who will, you know, kind of be guinea pigs and like tell us what stinks about the current MVP or vision um, and, and help us kind of improve that. So we're, you know, if people are interested in that, we'd love to chat with them. They can reach out, uh, you know, uh, via like just email me, Matt at joinatlist.ai. Uh, you know, you can find us on Twitter. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, that that's like the main thing that we're looking for right now. Well, it was great talking with you today and best of luck. And I'm sure we'll we'll speak again soon. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for having me. This was fun. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. I hope you liked it. If you could do me a favor, if you enjoyed the show and you think others would benefit from it, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or however you listen. Reviews are the number one way other listeners find out about the show. Thank you for listening. And remember, life is how you choose to spend your time. Please use it wisely.